1: Welcome to my money. Welcome to America. I'll be one of my friends. I'm just trying to make you some money. My job is not just to entertain you, but to educate, teach you, put it in context. So call me at 1-800-743-CBC or tweet me at Jim Kramer. Bear with me. What if this whole market, after this incredible run, is actually undervalued? I know it sounds crazy. I mean, we've had just a remarkable blitz up. We just came through then after that, a brutal sell-off. All the buyers vanished. Now suddenly we're back. Dow surging 328 points. S&P jumping 1.27%. NASDAQ pulling like 1.87%. Why? Why did it happen? Why was so great today? Because today is Merger Monday. Monday, it used to be the day we always came in mergers and it stopped. Well, guess what? It's back and it's bigger than ever. So I brought out the Merger Bot. Merger, Merger, Merger. Yes, I haven't used the Merger Bot. I don't know, four or five years. Merger, Merger. And it's back. Merger. All All right, all right, all right. Back and bigger than ever. Now, we spend a lot of time trying to figure out what stocks are worth, right? I mean, we do that, all the price to earnings, I and mean, price to sales, and book value, all that stuff we try to do. But, you know, there's another whole way to value a business. You look at what another business might be willing to pay for that business. And today we got a wave of huge, mind-numbing deals that suggest there are many real bargains out there in M&A. Merger, mer- merger, 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 merger. Let's start with this stunning announcement this weekend that Gilead Sciences, the gigantic biotech, that conquered Epc was acquiring Immunomedics for 21 billion. Ha, see, it's real. It's that. The stock of Immunomedics traded at $2 just four years ago. $4. It was at $8 and changed as recently as April. It had three CEOs in 18 months. But Immunomedics also has a viable cancer franchise that some analysts think could be a huge business in a couple of years. Stock only rallied to $40 just this summer on rumors of takeover. Then Gilead comes in and pays 108% premium on top of the 40, which is on top of the E, which is on top of the two. And guess what? You're getting $88 per share from Gilead Sciences. Even after that massive price tag, so how much Gilead stock, what should that be down? No, it rallied. The market's judgment is that this deal is good for Gilead which suggests that IMMU must have been radically undervalued even at 40 House of Pleasure. Right, well, okay, so how about one, you know, Kramer, Fave, and NVIDIA? They're paying $40 billion in cash and stock for ARM holdings. This is a deal that will crown NVIDIA as the king of the semis by combining their graphics and data center chips with ARM's processors for computers and cell phones. Two years where NVIDIA is not a presence. They're paying a fortune here. And while NVIDIA stock was already up more than 100% for the year, NVIDIA stock still roared again today. The deal is a game changer. Your only real objection, some of us believe the antitrust regulators will put a stop to it. But I spoke to Jensen Wong, and, and Jensen, he's, you know, NVIDIA's bankable CEO. He was on Squawk on the Street with me this morning, and he was adamant to deal with past muster. Given that he, fa- that he finally got that fabulous Mellanox deal through, even as the Chinese government tried to block it initially, I believe him. He says it will be immediately additive to earnings, and I believe that, too. It could end up being a steal because of its ubiquity. Here's what Jensen told me this very morning. Arm is an extraordinary company. This is, this is the company that built the world's most popular CPU. It, is, uh, it has built 180 billion units uh, over, over its course of its history. 22 billion of it just last year. And, and so it's, they're in everything. They're in everything. People are believers. Up $28 today. Up $28 on paying $40 billion for a company that most people don't even know exists. Now a lot of people think Nvidia stock is hideously overvalued at these levels. Of course, I think they're wrong. It's trading at 57 times earnings, for heaven's sake. But you know what? Nvidia looked ridiculously expensive in 2018 too. The thing is, when the actual earnings came in, they were so much higher than expected. The stock looked absurdly cheap in retrospect. It was trading at 20 times earnings. 20 times earnings. I think the same thing could happen again here, even as Nvidia is already the largest semiconductor company on earth by market cap. You know what? Jensen's worth merger. Might see this guy back. All right. Uh, how about this TikTok craziness? Mer- merger. This popular Chinese social media site, which is really for moron. I mean, no, Jimmy chill. It's for people who don't really have a real grip on what Tolstoy and Shakespeare have to say. It's being strong armed into spinning off its American business. A lot of us assumed it would go to Microsoft. They wanted it. Turns out Oracle wants it, too. And TikTok went with them. Oracle's been pretty mum on the deal, but we know there's a ton of interest from other players. Hey, by the way, Microsoft teamed up with Walmart of all companies because the online advertising possibilities are too phenomenal to ignore. Do I really think Walmart's just going to go away because of a kind of a weird press release, stop trading thing? Uh Uh-uh. Could be a bidding war. Yet Oracle stock rallied two bucks in change, a big move for this stock. This is hardly a match made in heaven. Sure, Oracle just put a good quarter, but it's a stodgy enterprise software company, while TikTok's video sharing app is for kids. Doesn't matter. TikTok's a great asset, so the market loves it. Oh, and get this. Microsoft was up, too, because nobody wanted them to overpay. Next up, my Chapel trust has this position in a little company, and it's called Seattle Genetics. We had them on air. We've actually visited them when we were in Seattle, but well, they visited with us. Now, uh, we, uh, this is a company that has antibody-based cancer treatments that I think are every bit as powerful as the one Gilead just overpaid $21 billion for. Now, Seattle Genetics didn't get acquired, but the giant that is Merck did swoop in to take a $1 billion stake that values the company at 200 bucks. It was at 150 on Friday. It closed at 171 today. Plus, Merck's giving them $600 million up front with the possibility of another $2.6 billion in milestone payments. Merck stock rallied most of the day. Okay, it closed at the end of the day flat, but believe me, people liked the deal. I've taken some flack for recommending Seattle Gen because it seems stalled over the last few months. A lot of people didn't like me because of it. Nobody seemed to care about the oncology pipeline. The stock just couldn't get any lift. It was going down, down, down. Well, guess what? Seattle Gen is on fire. So is Merck, by the way, when you take a look at the longer term, uh, I guess they are both undervalued. Finally, there's... Oh, boy. Ricola. Nicola. Nicola. Yes, this last week, we talked about how this electric truck play with a hydrogen fuel cell kicker has come under fire from short sellers. There was a devastating piece of research from a short seller, which included the detail that they filmed one of their trucks rolling down a hill then edited it out to give the impression it was running under its own power. You can make that up. Today, Nicola shot back... In a long rebuttal, but I couldn't get past this one line. I thought this line was what I call dispositive. Quote, Nikola never stated his truck was driving under its own propulsion in the video. No, no, they didn't. They didn't mention that it was shot while it was like an angle and then they made it look flat. It's okay. Didn't seem to matter because at one point, this jock had jumped more than 11 percent on the rebuttal. Why? Well, last week, General Motors took a two billion dollar stake in Nikola and they're standing by it even after these revelations. Management's adamant they've come a long way since the faked truck video and all sorts of other alleged bad behavior. GM CEO Mary Barra came out and reiterated that they'd done their due diligence and the trucks are very real. Weird that she had to do that, right? It's like, hey, you know what? we actually did some homework. I know you don't think we did any homework. We, like, did homework. The dog ate our homework. I mean, come on. And, and a rebuttal actually worked. Maybe even Nikola's worth more than we thought, although I'm still skeptical. And after the close, there were press reports saying the SEC is looking into the short seller's allegations, which, by the way, means, frankly, nothing. Uh, but it did drag the stock lower after though. Now, you could say, I'm just cherry-picking here, that all these deals are one-off situations. I think that's the wrong read, though. If the market were truly overvalued, and we got this kind of M&A activity, you'd expect the acquirer stock to go down, not up. Yet these deals are forcing the bears to rethink their attitude toward both tech and, more importantly, biotech. I know for a fact that short sellers were banging down Nikola and Seattle Gen. They were on the wrong side of the trade today. I know that Immunomatics had been a laughing stock with its revolving door of CEOs. Go Google it. It's really pretty funny. But who's laughing now? What matters here is that the market has spoken. Big-time hedge fund managers may come on our air and say that stocks are too high, maybe even dangerous, that we're in a bubble, bubble, toil, and trouble. But big companies tend to know their own industries, and they seem to think many stocks are undervalued or reasonably valued. Maybe the hedge funds will ultimately be right, but not if you were short Immunomedics or if you were short Seattle genetics. Bottom line, look, there will be more sell-offs ahead. This is still September. Last week of September is supposed to be bad. But the next time the market gets slammed, I want you to remember what happened today, and I want you to try... Not to be too negative. In case you need a reminder. Murder. All right, let's go to Uche. Uche in Alabama. Uche. How's it going? <laughs> Jim, it's incredible. It's incredible today. What's up with you? Uh, everything's green. I'm down here in Gulf Shores about to evacuate this hurricane. Oh, I want to ask you about okay. Walmart. I love Walmart. Mm-hmm. I think Walmart is so much better than people realize. You know why? Because the snobs in New York who are analysts, they don't go to Walmart. I like my Walmarts, and I think it's terrific. And anytime time wants to come on air, this is where he should come on. This is where he should be because the stock's a buy. Let's go to Taylor in Michigan. Taylor. Hi, Jim. A big Chicago booth. booya. Well, yeah. okay. I right told- back at you on that one. What's going on?
0: I am calling about Domo. The company is working towards becoming cash flow positive, and the recent quarter, coupled with a term loan maturity extension, suggests
1: they are making progress. They are. They are making progress. Here's the problem: there's like 42,000 of these companies, and after a while, they all kind of get washed in the in the the shuffle. I think it's good, Utah-based, not Silicon Valley, but in the end, there's an awful lot of these, and that does make me feel like yes. That there's a glut of those stocks. All right, look at this, will you? I like this last one, tries, right? Never forget the truck. (laughs) The (laughs) truck. But really remember,
0: the market has spoken.
1: Next time we get a sell-off, I want you to remember Merger Monday. Man, buddy, tonight. IPOs are like snowflakes, no two are alike. Tonight I'm one of the many companies hitting the tape this week. Snowflake tell you if it's worth considering ahead of its first day of trading and you don't want to miss that then how a race for the vaccine could impact the overall market and with gw Pharmaceuticals down over the past few months is it worth considering here i'm getting an update from its ceo so stay with
2: Murder.
1: kramer
2: don't miss a second of mad money follow at jim kramer on twitter have a question Tweet Kramer, hashtag MadTweaks. Send Jim an email to madmoney at cnbc.com. Or give us a call at one 800 743 cnbc Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com.
1: Let's get granular. Friday, I told you we're about to get inundated with IPOs. There are at least a dozen deals coming this week. We're somewhere in the neighborhood of $8 billion. Do we have any room for all that supply? And the biggest one, the crest of the wave, is Snowflake the cloud-based software company with the next-generation data warehousing platform and one of the greatest websites if you want to find what they do, which most people don't know. As I've mentioned before, Snowflake is everything Wall Street loves in a software company. It's got triple-digit growth rate. Oh, my God. It's got rising margins, a terrific business model that's loaded with recurring revenue. We love recurring revenue. In other words, this is going to be a very, 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 very hot deal. Maybe too hot. Well let's say the underwriters raised Snowflake's price range substantially. It is expected to be the largest software IPO in history which means this will immediately become one of the most expensive stocks in the entire market. So what should you do with Snowflake after it comes public, probably on Wednesday? Before we answer that question, you got to know what makes this so special. About a decade ago, we started hearing about all the possibilities from big data. You know, Splunk talks about that. Salesforce talks about it. Companies had these treasure troves of digital information, and they could use that info to make better decisions. We've now been through the big data revolution, We know it works. In fact, it's become essential. You can't compete with the big boys unless you're collecting all this data and using it, mining it, to learn more about what your customers want. But since then, we've had another revolution, the cloud revolution. And a lot of these big data systems simply weren't built for the cloud. Companies now have access to an immense amount of computing firepower, but before they can apply it to their data, there are a ton of logistical challenges data tends to be siloed in different systems. you got to toggle back and forth. The right hand doesn't know what the left hand is doing or it's stored in inconsistent formats or the old databases simply weren't built to handle the kind of volume that you can squeeze out of the cloud. Basically, businesses have all this data, but it's a huge pain to get anything valuable out of it. We've seen a whole cottage industry spring up just to help companies format and process their data. They spend fortunes on this stuff. Hardware, information technology experts and on-premise software. I mean, the costs add up and you see like a whole room full of People are trying to do the same thing. Wrong way to go. And that brings me to Snowflake. See, Snowflake built a cloud-based system that integrates and optimizes all of your data into a common data set. Get that whole room of people off the payroll. They can handle massive amounts of volume, and it's very easy to use. You don't need to bring in an entire department just to ask your analytics program a question. Best of all, it's cheap. And you don't need to manage lots of infrastructure because this is software-as-a-service. How big is this opportunity? According to Snowflake, the total addressable market, or TAM, for their cloud data platform could be $81 billion. Although they also touch on analytics data management, integrated platforms, and business intelligence. Collectively, a $56 billion market that's growing like a weed. On top of all that, there's an enterprise data sharing component that hasn't really been measured because it's so new. Long story short, people are crazy about this one. It's a great concept. Even better, Snowflake's got the best bloodlines. We mentioned this on Friday, but it's worth repeating. The company's run by a man by the name of Frank Slootman, S-L-O-O-T-M-A-N. Get used to hearing his name. He's the hard-charging former CEO of ServiceNow, another cloud play that helps businesses automate all sorts of back-office jobs, including IT jobs. He took ServiceNow public in 2012 at 18. Stock opened at 23 and change. It's now at 458. How's your index fund doing? Before that, Slugin was the CEO of Data Domain. What did he do with that when he sold it to EMC in 2009? This guy is a legend in Silicon Valley. Under his leadership, ServiceNow grew from a company with $100 million in sales to a company with $1.4 billion in sales. And that's all he really wanted to do. Once he took it there, he said, let's give it to somebody else. I'm on to the next. So a lot of people look at Snowflake IPO and they see the next ServiceNow. And for good reason. When you look at the numbers, they are incredible. All right, now these are things that if you're in the business, you're kind of blown away by, but I'm going to give them to you. Snowflake had 174% revenue growth last year. That is so much better than any other company I've followed. It's amazing. In the first half of 2020, that slowed to 133%, but 133% growth is still insanely good. No company can sustain triple-digit growth forever thanks to the law of large numbers. But it's fun while it lasts. Then there's what's known as RPO, or Remaining Performance Obligation. This is a more standardized term that software as a service companies have started using rather than billings or bookings. It refers to the money they've been paid up front for services they haven't performed yet. Remember, it's like subscription accounting. Think of it as a backlog. Snowflake's Remaining Performance Obligation was up 233% this year. That only slowed to 211% in the first half. Uh, that, that's quite simply spectacular. Total customers, More than doubled in the first half. Total customers with more than $1 million uh, worth of business, up 155%. Their net revenue retention, how much they're selling to existing customers, up 158%. These are all mouthwatering numbers. People, these are all better numbers than any company I talk about, okay? Any company. There isn't one that I've mentioned. That has better numbers than this company. While Snowflake's still losing a lot of money, that is what happens when you invest heavily in order to expand. That's what Slootman wants to do. The margins are rapidly moving in the right direction. Anyway, put it all together and you start to see why both Salesforce.com, yes, Mark Benioff, and Berkshire Hathaway, yes. Warren Buffett are taking $250 million positions in Snowflake along, alongside the IPO. Salesforce is the obvious one. They practically invented the cloud. CEO Mark Benioff has an eye for these opportunities. Loves Lutman. He did the same thing with, uh, when Zoom video came public. Loves Eric Yuan. But Berkshire Hathaway? Warren Buffett's Berkshire Hathaway? They're the ultimate value investors. And yet they still want a piece of this one, too? So if the business is great, if Benioff and Buffett both like it, then what am I doing saying maybe I'm a little nervous? One word valuation. See, originally Snowflake planned to come public at $75 to $85 per share. But there's been so much demand that the bookrunners raised the price range dramatically. Now they're talking $100 to $110 per share. Unusual to see an IPO price like that large. It's looking like the company will be able to raise somewhere between uh, $3.5 to $4 billion. And that assumes they don't upsize the deal or raise the price even further. And that's probably a bogus assumption. At the low end of the range, my back-of-the-envelope math says that this would be a $27.7 billion company from day one. At the high end, we're talking 30 dollars billion. Assuming Snowflake can keep growing at 133% clip this year, reasonable, they'll have 615 million in revenues. At the IPO price, that means the stock will be valued at 45 to 50 times sales. Of course, if they can maintain a triple-digit growth rate for the next couple of years, that stock's going to look a lot cheaper in the 2023 estimates, but that's a big if. I've got to tell you, even in a market that loves cloud stocks with rapid revenue growth and no earnings, 50 times sales is tough to swallow. Right now, Zoom is the most expensive cloud name in the market, and it sells for 48 times this year's sales. That's the upper end of the range. You've got to assume that Snowflake will spike right out of the gate, which means it could be substantially more expensive than Zoom before you get a chance to do any buying. Zoom! So where do I come down? Look, I am torn. I think Snowflake's going to be a great long-term performer. I bet it will have a very strong first week, but the price of admission seems a little too extreme for me, unless you can get in on a deal. Remember, those who get stock will come in and buy more in the aftermarket, and their cost basis will be lower than yours That, if you came in in the public market. That's why so many of the buyers are insensitive to price on the first day. They, let's say they get, say, 100,000 shares, which would be a lot, and it comes public at 100, it opens at 200. Well, they buy 100 at 200, they get a basis of 150. you got a basis of 200. Here's the bottom line. If you want a piece of Snowflake and you can't get a piece of the actual IPO, I recommend waiting for the next tech pullback, which we know we have. We had one last week, 10%, before you pull the trigger. When those cloud stocks sell off, they sell off hard. So I have to believe you'll get a better entry point as long as you're patient. Make no mistake, though. Snowflake and the CEO are winners. And if you insist on buying somebody out of the gate, get this. I think the opening may be the low of the day. Stick with Kramer. COVID vaccine by the end of the year. Come on, that's the biggest question in this market, right? And, and I, I think it's dicey. You need to get 30,000 people into a trial just to test the vaccine. It's a whole production, but that's the only way to know if the darn thing works. And it can't just be any 30,000 people. You need to test it with volunteers and hotspots who have a real, realistic chance of catching the virus. With that in mind, AstraZeneca has been in the lead here. But then they had a major issue with one patient. We don't know what it was. Although it was enough to temporarily halt the trial. They're up and running again in the U.K., even as our regulators have yet to give them the green light. If everything goes right, AstraZeneca might have a vaccine by the end of the year. Pfizer's trying to get out there, too. They've been all over the tape saying good things. Same with Moderna, which is actually recruiting in New York right now. Vaccine bulls, they are charging. Of course, even when we have a vaccine, in theory, you still have to manufacture hundreds of millions of doses, make people take it. That doesn't happen overnight. Still, the possibility of a vaccine coming sooner than expected has become part of the day-to-day drumbeat, the decision-making in this market. And the market is saying in the last few weeks, and particularly vociferously today, that the vaccine narrative has swung dramatically positive, okay? And it's getting louder. So let me give you some examples of what people are buying, betting on a vaccine. Marriott rallied more than five bucks today, mostly as a bet of... On the vaccine, of course, although we're also getting some good numbers out of China. The hotel space has been a house of pain. About 30 percent of the hotels in New York are actually in arrears. You could argue that a big chain like Marriott will be the last man standing, but I'm not sure the market's that discerning. Thing is, it's September. Vaccine dates get closer and closer. Buyers know Marriott will come out of this intact, maybe even stronger than ever. Once the pandemic's over, same goes for the by the way, Hilton and Host Hotels. Both of us, their stocks rallied five percent today. Next up is TJX. Well, this is complicated. Why? When this off price retail reported, it was nothing short of a disaster. Now, we honor it for my travel trust. And I dread talking about it on this Wednesday's ActionAlertsPlus.com club call. Why? Because these guys really blew up. I mean, it doesn't have much of an online presence, which is lethal in this environment. And it also had the wrong inventory, which I didn't think it would have. Its footprint isn't really suited for social distancing either. Why? Well, because a lot of people like to go there. And the only retailer that does well are people who, uh, when you have a Costco where the aisles are so wide, you can drive two cars through. Since then, TJX's stock has been bouncing. This could be another last-man-standing situation. TJX will get some terrific inventory from all those normal retailers that are going under right now. I think they'll be in great shape once the pandemic's under control and people can safely shop in person. But TGX, the stock is rallying right now, up almost 2.5% today. It's like the market's saying, why wait? A vaccine's on the way. She might as well buy the retailers that work when the economy reopens, not the ones that are essential that aren't working as stocks, even as they're making a lot of money. We saw the same thing in Kohl's and then Bed, Bath & Beyond, up 9% and 5% respectively. I mean, you know, Bed, Bath & Beyond... I mean, you're talking about this thing. They still use these things. I mean, come on. It's why a strip-mill mall uh, real estate investment trust like Kimco and a regular mall real estate investment trust like Simon Properties could soar in today's session. Not that long ago, these companies were written off and left for dead, but they'll survive if we get a vaccine in the fourth quarter. By the way, I think bed Bath's making real progress under its new management, although I know it's still got a long way to go if they're still just using those coupons. Well... Hard habit to kick, isn't it? What else? We uh, Look at Tapestry. No, not the Carol King, but the, the one that is coach, okay? Ralph Lauren. Wow. PVH. These apparel and handbag stocks were supposed to be untouchable. Instead, totally, they're now unstoppable. Tapestry in particular has been a disaster. Management changes, questionable judgment, just horrible. Now the stock says, oh, it's fine. I actually like the quarter of Ralph Lauren that and, and they reported, and I think their digital efforts are going to pay off. That seems attractive to me. As for PVH, they had a big decline in inventory, which counts as a real win in this environment. I still prefer to buy the best, though. In retail, that's Lowe's, Home Depot, and that's Costco, and Walmart. I think Best Buy and Williams-Sonoma have excellent prospects. Targets they that bargain now at these levels, given how incredible that quarter was. However, that's not what people want right now. They want the survivors, not the saviors, at least today. So look at Darden, the parent company of Olive Garden, up another 5% today. This thing's had a miraculous rise over the past few weeks. I don't know how to interpret that other than they'll stay in business by, by the time we get a vaccine. And many of their competitors just can't. They don't have the balance sheet. Darden has deep enough pockets to ride out the pandemic. And they've got plenty of customers who are happy to order takeout from Olive Garden. Brinker's been on a tear, too. They own Chili's, which also had a great takeout. Wings Business, very similar to Wingstop, one of the hottest stocks in this market. Which restaurant chain is the most investable. You know what I go with? I go with Yum. Parent company KFC, Taco Bell, and Pizza Hut. I think they're finally getting serious about cash trap franchisees that are not doing well. They've really fixed up Taco Bell. There's nothing wrong with KFC. If they can moderately improve Pizza Hut, the stock will soar. I know that's, a, that's no mean task. And a vaccine would represent a major improvement. Hey, what's Papa John's doing well. Domino's, my favorite, is doing well. Finally, there is Penn National Gaming, long my favorite consumer chain. And everyone wants to recommend, they always recommended the Las Vegas Sands and the Wynn and MGM. Well, give me a break. This one is the right one. It used to be considered and also ran roll-up with lots of middle-American exposure and nothing in Macau, the hottest casino market on earth. But now, though, thanks to its tie-up with Barstool, Penn National will be the premier site for legal sports gambling, something that's already happened in 33 states. I bet it goes nationwide. I can't believe the stock traded down 3 bucks and change in March. What a steal. Sure, at 65 bucks. it's had a huge run including $6 or 10% today alone. When people see how well Barstool fits in, though, I think the numbers will have to come up, maybe way up. There are plenty of gamblers who want both the NFL and Penn National stock. I think you're actually going to get better odds with the latter. I say buy some wait for a pullback to buy more. Of course, there's one other possible explanation for the strength in these stocks. If Congress can somehow negotiate a stimulus bill to rescue these troubled companies, well, that would be huge. My hope is that they'll try to save the struggling small and medium-sized businesses that simply can't make it without a COVID bail. like the incredible discussion that Tyler Matheson had today, which was so right. Tyler was so right. The small and medium guys have to be bailed. Negotiations are stalled, but maybe people are betting uh, that they'd go somewhere today? Always a possibility, but I don't like to back on anything from watching this close to the election. Here's the bottom line. If you if you want to speculate on a faster than expected vaccine, you can go with Penn uh, National or Yum! Brands. But if you want the deepest value in the group, it's got to be, guess what? The cruise lines! Not the airlines, which have too much price warring. The cruises, though, have little excess capacity, and they're offering tons of great deals if you believe vaccine is coming. These stocks bottomed a long time ago. My favorite's Norwegian Cruise, because they raise enough cash to hold out even if the vaccine gets delayed and warp speed becomes jog speed. But with a vaccine, oh they will all be fine. Let's go to Aksha in Illinois. Aksha.
0: yeah, Jim. How are you doing?
1: I'm okay. How about you?
0: Doing good. Hey, my question is on Pfizer. With all the uh, buying between Europe and uh, U.S. Uh, for the doses, around $300 million, how come the stock's not 58 dollars. Because it
1: doesn't have enough away from that. It really doesn't. It doesn't have the pipeline people want. It doesn't have the bazaars people want. It is just, frankly, a bond with some drugs. How about William in Michigan, please? William! Hi, Jim. How are you, buddy? I am good. How are you? I'm doing well, thank you. The reason for my call is that I would appreciate your opinion on the movie industry, and specifically the stock that I purchased last week. Cinemark CNK at twelve eighty two. My vision is that the vaccine will jumpstart this industry and eventually movie watching at theaters become normal again. I'm willing to be patient in the long term hold. What are your thoughts? I think that you are dead right. Uh, We had Adam Aronoin, who was the CEO of AMC when the stock was at four. And he said, look, we're going to clean it up. It's going to be open. And by the way, both those companies, when we get a vaccine, you're going to say, why didn't I buy it when you said to buy it? How about Samuel in Missouri? Samuel. Booyah, ski
0: Daddy. Yo! Hey, I'm calling about Lidos Holdings, L-D-O-S. Yes. The last quarter, they crushed earnings like a left hook from Manny Pacquiao. But it seems recently, like so many companies, regardless of the earnings report report, the stock price doubled and standards like it took a haymaker to the chin.
1: Yeah, it did. Do you see this as a growing trade? I think you should buy it, it. I think it's a great company. These stocks are trading down because of fear of a Biden victory. The Democrats spend just as much as Republicans on uh, military. Lydos is a really good bet. It's a great call by you. We're seeing vaccine theories impact day-to-day investing decisions. I want you to choose wisely, but this group, I'm really digging the yum. I'm liking the Norwegian, and I think you're not going to go wrong with the pen nat. Okay, much more bad money ahead, including my exclusive with the CEO of GW Pharma. Could the stock's recent downtrend be a red flag or a buying opportunity? I'm getting the latest. Then stock splits are under fire as of late, What are investors looking at them all wrong? I'm going to give you my take. And order calls rapid fire in tonight's edition of the Lightning Round. So stay with Kramer. What is it going to take for a real pharmaceutical company called GW Pharma to break away from the unjust association with the cannabis cohort, which you know has been going down? For those of you who don't remember, this is a biopharma company that makes cannabis-derived medicines. For example, they've got a terrific seizure drug that's very helpful, especially for children suffering from rare types of epilepsy. Yet because of that cannabis connection, I think the stock seems to to trade with the weak place. And that's a rough category to be stuck with, especially when you're actually a drug company. So I think GW is undervalued, but please don't take it from me. Let's dig deeper with Justin Gover, the CEO of GW Pharma. Get a better sense of how this company is doing. We're today. Mr. Gover, welcome back to Mad Money.
0: Jim, thank you for having me back on the show.
1: Well, I see, sir, the uh, Epidiolex sales in the U.S. in Q2 are now over, uh, well over $100 million. Is this the beginning of a very big ramp for a drug that we know is incredibly important for a lot of unmet needs?
0: I really think it is. In the first half of this year, total revenues for GW were $240 million. And essentially, that's from an Epidiolex launch that only took place over 18 months ago. So even notwithstanding COVID-19 and all the challenges, the product continued to grow in Q2. And we just had a new indication approved, doubling the potential patient population for the drug and are now launching that. So very exciting second half of the year to come.
1: I was uh, concerned about your company because I see so few people when you go to the hospital. I was surprised the demand so great that telemedicine played a major role this quarter.
0: That's right. I mean, we're all having to live in uh, learn to live in this new world. Uh, patients are having to do so. Physicians are doing so and we are doing so as well. But when you have a drug like Epidiolex, which is treating seizures in patients that really have nowhere else to turn, um, even in the context of a pandemic, Patients still need this kind of medication, and doctors want to prescribe it to patients, and that is exactly what we've been seeing.
1: So there's a drug that is used for people who are bipolar, and there's millions of people. Uh, That's a seizure drug. It's called Amictal From uh, and it hasn't been uh, nothing new since 1994. I think a lot of people who are on that drug would love to know if they could benefit from Epidiolex.
0: Well, um, what we've been doing sequentially over the last few years is expanding the potential patient population through clinical trials, through getting good data, and getting the FDA to approve the medication. And as such, as we look forward, as I mentioned, we've just expanded into a new form of ep- epilepsy, tuberous sclerosis complex, and there are other types of seizures and other types of epilepsy that we are studying and we'll study again in the future. So um, Epidiolex is here, it's here to stay, and I think we'll continue to see increased adoption through the epilepsy community as we produce more data.
1: And do you think the FDA might be inclined to say, uh, you know, to give you a green light to do big trials for, that could replace uh, these old seizure drugs for mental health?
0: Well, we, uh, I mean, I think mental health is a slightly different issue. We have right. another program, actually, in schizophrenia and mental health. But within the field of epilepsy... You know, the FDA has made it clear, and they've issued their own statements, how important it is for them to see FDA-approved options derived from the cannabis plant with real data, with quality control, safety information, dosing information, and so on. So I think the, the choice is ours, and we're determined and committed to do what we can to help those patients with epilepsy.
1: I think that's great. I think safety and dosing are, one, are two of the reasons why people thought that there'd be no problem with cannabis, just plain old. And that's a major problem because the dr- doctors don't want to just have to approximate, which brings me to what I really want to talk about, which is you know, what, what, what people are starting to buzz about, which is biximols. I'm sorry if I'm pronouncing that wrong. But here we finally have a, a you know, cannabis derived, but dosing. And I bet there must be maybe tens of millions of people around the globe who might end up taking this drug.
0: Well this is an extraordinary opportunity. I've previously been on your show to talk about Epidiolex beginning being the dawn of a new era yes. for cannabinoids. Nabiximoles is that second drug. It is the, the consequence of all the work we've done for epidialects. Nibiximols is now going to be in very late stage development in the U.S. for patients with multiple sclerosis. We have a pathway agreed with the FDA to expand the potential population well beyond multiple sclerosis and this application could go into the FDA as soon as next year. So it's an accelerated development pathway. The market potential is very significant. And just to give you an example, Jim, just uh, this weekend, there's the big global MS meeting, multiple mm-hmm. sclerosis meeting. Um, a survey was published showing that in the United States, a th- one third of patients with multiple sclerosis are today having to resort to some form of unregulated, unregulated cannabis product because they don't have a regulated FDA option available. So you can just see that as we did in the field of epilepsy, we can meet the needs of patients with multiple sclerosis and those suffering with other muscle problems Mm -hmm. from spinal cord injury, stroke, and so on in the future. So it's a really, really important new an exciting development for the company.
1: Well, I'm thought you're doing it. A lot of the cannabis companies told me that they'd be doing it two years ago. They said we'd all have it. I kept saying, I would like to know what your dosing is. And each time they gave me a different dose because they didn't know. No doctor is going to make up a dose. So I think that you're really the only one in the field, and you should be considered like a Bristol Myers, not like, (laughs) and I'm not going to pick on any particular cannabis companies, but you know exactly what I mean. They are unregulated.
0: I do, and I think the, you know, we've, we've been going for 20 years, Jim, as you know. We've broken through barriers throughout the last two decades. We continue to do that. But what, what I do know with the Epidiolex approval is that physicians and patients, health insurers, the FDA, the DEA, regulators at large, understand that we can produce for them high-quality, evidence-based medicines derived from the cannabis plant. And that is what patients ultimately deserve to have.
1: Oh, thank you so much. I totally agree with you. It's always great to see Justin Gover, the CEO of GW Pharmaceuticals. Great to see you, sir. Terrific. Thank you. Uh, Guys, look, it's not a pot drug. It's a company that recognizes how great some of the strains of natural cannabis can be. And they make it so that you can get it from a prescription, which is what matters. They have money back after the break. And then the lightning round is over. Are you ready? Ski day. Time for the lightning round. Let's start with Jerry in your York. Hey, Jimmy, chill Thanks for taking my call. No um, problemo. What are your thoughts on FHN? I bought some uh, a few months ago. It's a bank. It's, it's a bank. And the, the banks, the only thing people want is fintech. They just won't own fintech. And First Horizon's doing incredibly well, but nobody seems to care. How about Christopher in Texas? Christopher.
0: Booyah, Kramer. First time calling here. I want to give a quick shout out to my buddy Monroe. Yeah. Hey, Leon. is merging with tortoise Acquisition. What are your thoughts?
1: Well, it's a, you know, these are these blank check companies. They get the money. They do what they want with it. Uh, other than UTC i Z, I've not been in favor of these, frankly, because I don't have any sort of real feel for them. Let's go to Jim in Michigan. Jim. Hi, Jim. Sorry to hear about your dog. And yeah, thank you. It's it's yeah. tough. Um, it's tough. We like. I like. He's a good boy. Yeah, they're part of the family.
0: Yeah. Um, one of my stocks is down about 12 months and 12 percent in the past month. What do you think of CVS?
1: I think I made a mistake when I bought CVS for uh, my travel trust. I'm trying to go over that. Uh, I've said it in my calls on Wednesday when I do my club call. I'm trying. I don't want to rationalize a bad stock. Uh, I do believe when there's a vaccine, it will go higher. How about Tara in New Jersey? Tara. Hi, Jim.
2: Hi, Tara. Uh, Columbia Financial. Uh, Ticker CLBK It's a financial
1: Again, I mean, I know I sound like a broken record But remember, I don't like the oils And I don't like the financials Let's go to Alex in Georgia Alex Yes, sir What's up, Alex? I'd like your opinion on GoCo, GoHealth I'm in around 15 Insurance company, company, health insurer Those won't go up until after the election's over So you're going to have to do some holding on uh, let's go to Eric in Michigan. Eric, Jim, calling you from Wolverine Country, in Ann Arbor, Michigan. There you go. That's where you should be. My, my question is on a company called the At Home Group. Oh, uh, we had Lead Bird uh, on. I mean, uh, the stock is just the stock is up like two hundred percent. But I thought Lee told a compelling story, and I don't think it's over. Uh, maybe fourteen, fifteen. You can buy some. Tina in Ohio. Tina.
0: Hey, Jim. Yes, Tina. The other day, my husband, Tom, told me that one of the things he loves about me is that I introduced him to you. Oh, that's nice. Thank you. Thank We've you. made some mad money thanks to your coaching. Thanks. Thank I'm you. looking to buy... You're welcome. I'm looking to buy a stock that would be good on either side
1: of the COVID barbell. What do you think of Cintas? I love Cintos. I mean, ever since they bought their number one competitor, the GSK, this thing has been on fire. We recommend it just like we recommended bull car. And, and, and Lindy, once you get to buy your best cut, your best competitor, you make a fortune. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is the conclusion of the lightning round. The lightning
2: round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade.
1: Got me really upset. Stock splits. See, stock splits are now under fire. They're under fire because Apple and Tesla just did a couple of big ones and their shareholders don't seem to be benefiting from it. My gut response? Come on. The existing shareholders were never supposed to get anything out of these moves. Remember, in theory, splits are totally meaningless. In practice, they're good for new shareholders. People want to buy, but got sticker shock when they saw the old price print, and instead of buying these 6 $7 stocks that they shouldn't be buying. But funnily, these splits have been terrific for the older shareholders, too. Why are they jump to this conclusion? Apple was trading at the equivalent of $96 before it was announced. Now it's at $115, with a brief euphoric pit stop at $134. <laughs> Tesla stood at 309 when theirs was announced and spiked to around 500 before pulling back to 419 as of today. Hey, by the way, people, that, that's still a huge gain. The real problem here is that we've got a ton of newbies in this market, and many of them played these splits all wrong. Somehow they got it into their heads that stock splits create value and thought it would come after the split wrong and wrong. The only thing splits do is make stocks more enticing to individual investors who don't know about fractional trading, and they want to own shares and are put off by the large dollar amount. Why do we care about this dynamic? Well, right now, these newbies, specifically the 13 million people in Robinhood, have a lot of firepower. That's in part because like, more than half of the money is ridiculously, it, it is being passively managed. So you know, people aren't making judgments on stocks. And you can yeah, ETFs is probably until close to 60%. The Robinhood traders actually like stocks. It's like the old days with them. And they gravitate toward what stocks have low prices whose names they heard of. Ford and General Electric. Now, there's nothing inherently wrong with that. Ford has a new CEO, Jim Farley. I like him. And if he can break free from the tradition that his company has to build cars everywhere, except for, of course, where you really need them, China, where they barely have a presence, then there's a case for owning this one. But Ford is well behind in electric vehicles. Even though they've got a promising autonomous driving system. As for GE, I think CEO Larry Culp is doing a very good job under extremely Difficult circumstances, given that his principal business is aerospace, and that's ugly business right now. But the kind of traders who chase single-digit stocks don't care about this stuff. They liked Ford even before Farley took over, under his predecessor, who was instrumental in dragging the stock down to where they liked it, seven locks. And don't get me started on GE unless you think we're going to get a surprise COVID vaccine, like maybe tomorrow. There's not a great case for owning anything with a ton of commercial air exposure, at least not this year. Uh, uh, But they like it because it's a $6 stock. They like the low-dollar stocks, which brings me all the way back to Apple and Tesla. I've said over and over that the normal response to a 4-1 or 5-for-1 split is that existing investors, when they get the new shares, sell a little. Maybe one of those new shares. Besides, those two stocks were due for some profit-taking because they went up big on the split. Unfortunately, they had become so essential to the market psyche that when they rolled over, the averages rolled over too. Now they're bouncing, and the averages are bouncing. After the splits were announced, you had to wait for your moment because the time to buy them was into the post-split weakness, not after the split was announced. If you were patient, you got a great deal. I predicted the post-split sell-offs. What I didn't predict was that all these pundits would come out of the woodwork arguing that splits hurt stocks. Given that Tesla and Apple are both up from their announcements, they couldn't be more wrong. Makes sense, though. Splits are bad for big institutional investors. They make trading more expensive. Because these guys pay commissions per share. So just be aware, when you hear some hedge fund manager saying splits are bad, well, they just may be lamenting that it costs them a bit more to trade in and out of something, and then that hurts them to compete against what they care about, which is the S&P index fund benchmark. I don't know how anyone serious can look at Apple and Tesla and conclude the splits hurt their shareholders when both stocks are up substantially since they announced those splits. I'd love to see one from Adobe, a company with, uh, with an out of reach 485 dollars stock when the company reports tomorrow after the close. The problem here is not splitting your stock. Uh, while sp- splits create no value, they make your shares more accessible to home gamers. And I want people to own a piece of a company. The key is that if you're going to trade into a split, you can't make the mistake of buying hand over fist after the announcement when the stock's going up for no reason. I hope more companies take the cue from Apple and Tesla. And when they do, you should take your cue from the post-split pullbacks to do some buying, not when it's running because they announced the split. That makes no sense at all. No value. Stick with Kramer. Can I just tell you that Jensen Huang is a genius and this deal is amazing. And I genuinely believe if he can get it, this company at $300 billion is going to turn out to be an inexpensive stock to buy. So stay with NVIDIA. Do not sell it. That's how I feel. As a matter of fact, if it comes down, I would actually do some buy. Like I said, there's always a bull market somewhere. And I promise I'll find it just for you right here on Mad Money. I'm Jim Kramer and I will see you
2: Apply to the Workforce Executive Council at cnbccouncils.com slash WEC.